we all take different paths towards transformation and evolution in our own lives. And one of those paths is the way of the experimenter, the person who is able to take a little bit of insight or opportunity and see what happens. In today's episode, you'll meet Al Campbell, a businesswoman and creative type who's followed her nose into a business that's now being entirely driven by her values. You'll want to stay tuned for her insights into giving it a go, understanding fit and lessons learned along the way if you relate to her experimenter's journey. And we talk about the importance of a girl gang to keep it real with on the way. I hope that you love meeting my friend Elle. Welcome to The Transformationist. Are you thirsty for inspiration and curious about the life-changing process of transformation? Welcome to The Transformationist. Whether you already know the transformation you're looking for or you're looking for guidance on the way there, these stories of hope will give you practical tips, plenty of encouragement and an invitation into real, life-giving transformation, whether you're transforming culture or becoming more yourself. Your story is welcome here. On this week's episode of The Transformationist, it's a delight to have my good friend, Al Campbell, not just on the episode, but live in person. We're here in Atlanta. Oh my goodness, Tash, you are a delight. I am (laughs) delighted to be sitting here with you in beautiful Atlanta, but it's very cold right now. It's not like a good representative of... Atlanta. So I'm sorry that you're here on this cold day. Well, you know, it's it's not called Hotlanta for nothing right. apart from maybe it is in okay. the middle of in the middle of winter. Yeah. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm warm and cozy. I'm good. layered up with merino. Good. I'm good to go. Oh, love it. But we're here to talk today. I've been so excited to have you on the podcast because a you're young talented, beautiful, all ooh, the things ooh. all the things that Keep mainstream going. society judges us okay. by. <laughs> Perfect, great. But you're also um, a really, you're a very successful businesswoman and you are doing things that are sort of breaking the bounds Mm -hmm. of, you know, normal in your field at least. And um, what I'm fascinated by is that as we've been getting to know each other and have having this conversation over the years, your pathway to getting here is not the typical pathway of somebody who finds this kind of business mm-hmm. success so early in life. This yeah. The typical story that you hear, um, you know, is somebody who's maybe particularly driven or has, you know, a particular uh, singular focus and passion mm-hmm. in a certain area and kind of throws everything towards it and <laughs> boom, 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 that's where they go, venture capital funding, woohoo. Yeah, right. Right, right, right. Was that your story? Oh, no. No, <laughs> not at all. Well, uh, to give you just as one little anecdote, um, my favorite animal is a sloth. And <laughs> in large part because I really identify with the values of a sloth. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm not like the typical driven, you know, go-getter type of business person. But I think probably I am maybe more of like an artist, like a creative and uh, my husband is very entrepreneurial, and we just love to like make things and to do things that are new. And we've been able to kind of channel making new things into a successful business. Uh, yeah, but it was not the plan. I did not, <laughs> this is not what I thought I would be doing at the age of 31 years old. But here we are. There we go. Um, so let's, we'll talk a little bit about the business. Yes. Uh, and bring some clarity to that. But the question that I often like to ask people first is, mm-hmm. you know, tell me the story about the before 
if yeah. this if if where you are right now wasn't the plan what what was <laughs> what was the plan before where were you and what were you doing uh-huh great question so here's the thing tosh i've never really had a plan <laughs> like when i was a kid i thought what do i want to be when i grow up I don't know, maybe like an artist, like maybe I could be an editor because I thought that editors just got paid to read books. Um, I had no idea. I had no plan. I loved to learn. I loved to make things, but that never coalesced for me into like a specific, you know, job description. Um, So, and that actually did cause me a lot of anxiety as like a college age Mm. student. Like what in the world am I doing? I couldn't pick a major. I couldn't pick a field because I just wanted to try everything. I wanted to just like you know, learn and make stuff. And I had no real direction. And you're probably in, mm-hmm. you know, that first wave of the generation that really had this idea. I mean, depending on your circumstance, of course, uh, and context, but really had the this idea thrown at them that the world is your oyster and yeah. anything is available to you. Mm-hmm. All things are available to you. You know, moving out of, in fact, in last week's episode, I was talking with, um, Mark Ostreicher about, you know, what it's like to be in the third phase of a career in a single field, Mm -hmm. which is more and more uncommon because of this idea that, uh, you know, the the millennial, the the Gen Xs, that kind of like Gen Z in the middle there, that we can experiment and try a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I think it can be really difficult to choose a path in a direction if you don't have that singular (laughs) passion driving you forward. Right. Yes, definitely. And, you know, like both of my parents had been in the same jobs, like really the same company for like 30 plus years. So I really, that was kind of all I saw modeled for me is these very structured, like you choose a career and that's what you do. And that was not working for me. So I didn't really know what to do. Um, At the time, I really loved volunteering at my church. So I was volunteering in the youth ministry. Um, I was dating the guy who's now my husband. His name is Kenny. And uh, we love Kenny. We do love Kenny. He's such a precious angel. And Kenny at the time, let's see, I guess I was, uh, we started dating when I was 16. He was 19. And, uh, yeah, like, I knew he wanted to be a youth pastor. That's really what he wanted to do. So he was really diving into ministry. Uh, He got a job at the church that I grew up in. That's how we met. And he was kind of, like, plowing forward with this career in youth ministry. And I kind of felt like I was just, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what's happening? So ministry was definitely not on the, like, table in my mind. And I don't really, I, I don't think I thought about it even as an option because, in my world, everybody who was doing ministry in ways that were like cool and like interesting to me were all men. Mm. And I never saw women leading in ways that were meaningful, in ways that resonated with me. Like the women at my church maybe led children's ministry. I'm not a <laughs> children's person. Or like they sang in the choir. I'm also not a choir person. I have no musical ability. So yeah, none of that was really resonating with me. And, uh, yeah, I just didn't see women kind of in that field. So I didn't see ministry as an option. But when I was in college, like I said, I was kind of like floundering. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be studying. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was offered a job at my church full time. And so I took it, uh, thinking at that time it would just be kind of a temporary thing uh, to give me a job until I figured it out. So I was studying psychology. I thought maybe I could be like, I don't know, do I want to be a counselor? What do I want to do? I was doing English. I'm like, maybe I could be an English teacher. I was doing all the things. And I worked in this ministry job for like three years, and Mm -hmm. it was definitely not 
my jam, but I learned some valuable things. Like I, I had to teach myself graphic design and, um, I mentioned already, like I'm, I'm already like artistically inclined. So that was really fun for me. Uh, I got to kind of, you know, learn the Adobe suite. Um, so I got to do some of that. I, I learned that I really loved doing like copywriting. Like I would create brochures or like training materials for our volunteers. I'm like, man, like this is fun. Like trying to figure out how to take the vision of our ministry and put it in writing is really fun for me. So um, I'm, I'm fascinated by the way that you tell your story and of the things that you are learning along the way, mm -hmm. because it sounds very much to me like you're almost compiling a toolbox yeah. of different skills and ideas and interests. Mm -hmm. And I'm fascinated to know um, how did you, did you kind of, pick up a skill or find something that was interesting and then kind of go exploring it for a little mm -hmm. while and then figure out whether or not it was worth putting in the toolbox? Mm -hmm. uh, and were there things that you discarded on the way? Like, tell me a little bit about what that yeah. experience was like as your kind of skill building mm -hmm. as opposed to training in a singular direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of the things I ended up picking up were, be um, at least within my workplace, were because I needed to develop them. Mm -hmm. So it would be like, man, we need this, you know, resource. We need we need a website. Um, our church's tech team doesn't have time to build a website. So I'll design it. Kenny will build it. We'll figure this out. Um, so a lot of it was like need based. We need to solve a problem. So let's figure out what we need to do to solve that problem. And in the process, I would learn some things because I just have to do it to figure it out. Uh, and so. It, we've talked a lot like, you know, being a pastor is actually a lot like being an entrepreneur because you have to figure out how to hustle and get stuff done in a very limited right. budget, limited yeah. resources. Yeah. So use what you have yeah. to do what you can. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, you know, you have to be like fiscally responsible. And sometimes that means it's better for you to learn a skill and maybe do it badly for a little bit, but it's better than, you know, spending money you don't have for somebody else to do it. So a lot of it was that. Uh, but I also, like, I've always been a learner. I love to learn and I get kind of nerdy about, like, weird specific things that I just kind of go deep on. So I think it's a both and uh, for, for that. But definitely a lot of the things uh, were need-based that I had to learn just in order to, like, do my job well. So... Yeah, but I did learn a whole bunch of stuff. And yeah, I think the idea of building a toolkit was very much what I experienced. Mm, mm -hmm. And so what? where did you end up with that? Mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of working for, you're working for a church. You yep. have this kind of set of creative skills. Uh, mm -hmm. You've learned a love of communicating ideas. Yeah. Where does that then take you? And, mm -hmm. and walk us through kind of what happens between then and, and then now sure. and tell us about the company. All right. So, uh, yeah, so I, I mentioned I moved into this department with my husband and we did that for four years together, basically running this whole department together. We had a lot of autonomy. We got to really design what we wanted to do. There's a lot of trust. Uh, so, yeah, it was really, really fun. We got to try things. We got to you know, see things that didn't work and <laughs> try different things. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really great. And in that process... So, like, in our church context, um, our lead pastor, who is, like, effectively the CEO of the organization, he said, hey, something that I'm really passionate about that I want you all to do is to really value um, helping other churches because we happen to be in a pretty affluent area. Our, our church was large and growing. We had a lot of resources. And so he said, hey, we need to figure out how to share this with other churches um, so that it's not all about us but about the, the bigger community. 
Uh, and so he challenged all of us to figure out ways that we could do that. And so there was, you know, like our tech team, they would go like donate sound system to other churches, go train them on how to use it. And so we were trying to figure out, well, what could we do? And for us, you know, we had taught ourselves graphic design. We were creating like these really cool downloadable like resources. And so we thought, okay, we'll put them up on our website for people to use for free. So we would make things like uh, game instructions, like fun games you can play. <laughs> like Kenny uh, developed this giant Angry Birds game out of, oh. um, <laughs> this is back when Angry Birds were still really hot. Yeah. <laughs> so he made these Angry Birds out of uh, giant like yoga balls, you know? Yes. And uh, a volleyball net. And <laughs> so the volleyball net became a slingshot and it was bananas we loved it so we like just that's one example we would do these different events that uh were really helpful in like shifting the culture of our ministry and so we kind of created these event guides and explained to people like hey here's how to do it here's all the resources to make it happen and here's some of the vision behind it and why it's why it works and so we put it up on our website and we were getting tons and tons of downloads um people were finding it recommending it to each other to the point where like the church web guy said, hey, I need you guys to get this off the website because like you're using <laughs> you're using all of our storage. Like people are like there's too much traffic. I need you to move this. Yeah. So really that was the incentive to create our own platform because mm. we had to take it off of the church platform. So we we're like, man, okay, let's I mean, since we have to take this off, we have to get our own website. So if we're gonna have our own website, we should make this like a thing. So we were really into the podcast uh stuff you should know at that right. point. And we're like, you know, that's a great podcast. Uh, let's call our <laughs> website Stuff You Can Use because we were just real into that. You know, like, hey, we're inspired by them. So Stuff You Can Use became our website. And we're like, hey, let's just put stuff on here that youth pastors can use. And they can download it, whatever. So we did it. It was all for free. Uh, but the demand was very high. So people were downloading everything and then saying, I need more things. Can you make more things for Which me? Which is, a, I mean, very funny mm-hmm. if you think about it. I mean, what you were doing at that, I mean, what, what's, what the stuff you can use idea was about at that time mm-hmm. was fascinating because, I mean, everything else was pay to play, you know, purchase, download, buy a book, Mm -hmm. you know, you guys were right on the cusp of, of how kind of the publishing model and the resource model in the youth work industry really was starting to change this Mm -hmm. idea that, whoa, hold on a second, all of a sudden there's stuff you can use and it's, and it's accessible and it's free and it's because you guys are not trying Mm -hmm. to make a crust out of it at that point, right? Right, totally. And yeah, and kind of like what we love is we love creating things that don't already exist. Mm -hmm. So we are not the kind of entrepreneurs that are like, oh, this business is working. Let's figure out how we can, you know, do something similar. We're kind of just like, what, what problems need to be solved that haven't been solved? Mm -hmm. Uh, What are things that we wish we had Mm -hmm. that we can build for others and for ourselves? Because we need it too. So we were building a ton of things simply because we needed them and then realized that if we needed them, probably other people did too. So uh, we, we basically were our target audience yeah. And so our target audience resonated because we were the same people. <laughs> and and one of the things I love about that as a, you know, as a strategist, one of the mm-hmm. things that I'm constantly, you know, pushing people into is like, how do we get the user at the center of yes. this experience? Mm-hmm. Whether it's an individual user, you know, and just one person looking at designing their life or mm-hmm. a product that's being designed by a company. How do we get people at the center of it? How do yeah. we really understand that? And you guys were in such a great position to do mm-hmm. that. But it's all kind of happening like accidentally. Yes, 100% as an accident. And so, yeah, so it was all for free. And then people, like I said, the demand was going up. And we realized, hey, 
this is something people need, but if we're going to, to create more things, we're probably gonna, are going to need to start charging for them just because this is going to take time. So we started building things on our off time, and anything we built on our off time, we sold for like 10 bucks, 15 bucks. Mm-hmm. It was like nothing crazy, just enough to feel like we were covering our costs. And yeah, it became really successful. Um, other companies were reaching out to us, like wanting to invest or acquire Ooh, yeah. or, <laughs> oh, I have an idea. How about you just give me all of your resources? Like that was an actual offer from another company. We're like, what are you talking about? Like, I know we're young, but we're not idiots. Like, no, <laughs> what are you doing? So uh, that was funny. Um yeah, it was an interesting time. And through that process, we started to realize, oh, like this is this could actually be a business. Mm. We were not trying to become business owners. We were just going to be youth pastors. But uh, we, like I said, we loved podcasts. So we started diving into like um, internet business podcasts and mm-hmm. passive income podcasts like Pat Flynn, uh, Smart Passive Income, and started to realize like, oh, we've been giving all of this stuff away for free and haven't captured a single email address. <laughs> what is wrong with us? What are we doing? <laughs> Where are your email marketing workflows? Exactly. Where's your funnel, Al? <laughs> no funnels. We still don't have funnels. We got to work on the funnels still. Uh, but yeah, so we we that's when we kind of realized like, oh, basically what we've done by accident is created an entire website of lead magnets. Mm. So then we started creating, actually like building our email list based on the lead magnets. And yeah, it was just like a fun thing we did. We should side. explain at this point what a yes, lead magnet great, is. Let's do it. Because I mean, you and I both mm-hmm. run our own businesses sure. and have, you know, and we work in that kind of space. Mm-hmm. So a lead magnet is? Yes. A lead magnet is something very valuable that your customer wants that you give to them for free in exchange for their email address. And then you get their email address and can stay in touch with them. Mm-hmm. So, Primary um, tool of relationship mm-hmm. building. Yes. It's like buying somebody a drink. It is. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> lovely. That's lovely. Wow. That's great. I, that analogy might not work in youth ministry circles, but maybe buying them a coffee. That's a there little... You yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. It's yeah. like a Starbucks yeah. gift card. <laughs> it's a Starbucks gift card. Um, so That's one great. of the themes that I'm fascinated by as you are talking again, there's mm-hmm. this kind of ongoing theme that I hear of experimentation. Yes. And you and I've talked about this before, um, that when I talk about transformation with people, I'm, I'm always keeping an ear out for, you know, what's their transformation archetype? Are they, are they the philosopher who's kind of investigating all of the options mm-hmm. before they settle on the path of change that's right for them? Yeah. Uh, or are they just the phoenix? I'm just going to burn it all down <laughs> and start again, complete from scratch. Yeah. Uh, but you, I feel like you really sit in this space of um, what I call like the, the experimenter. Mm-hmm. You're, you're kind of a little bit of a scientist, a little bit of an, a, of an analyst. Mm-hmm. If something works for you, it sounds like, oh yeah, we kind of lean into this and, and we just kind of keep going in that yeah. direction. Mm-hmm. Does that sound like an accurate kind of reflection? <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it definitely does. Uh, and even like thinking back to like when I was a kid, that makes a lot of sense because I like science was my favorite. I loved experimenting. I just loved, like, I just want to try some things and just see what works. Uh, so yeah, I think that is definitely accurate. Uh, and for us, like really when like our core values as a married couple, and I guess as, as business partners too, cause that's what we are is like, we're just trying to have some fun. We're trying mm-hmm. to have fun. We're trying to make things that help people and that make the world a little bit better. And so we're going to try stuff. And if it's fun, we're going to keep doing it. And if it's working, that usually means it's fun. So we're going to keep going. Uh, But yeah, for sure. We just try stuff and then just see. There's a lot of intuition involved. And if it doesn't work, then we move on and try something different. 
Uh, have there been have there been things that you've been like uh that didn't really that didn't work so much well maybe that wasn't so fun we'll kind of put that to one side yeah there have been like small things and big things uh I would say on like small things it would just more be like you know we might try to restructure our website or like do different things and then we're like "Eh, this isn't working nobody wants this and so we would just cut it off uh but so (laughs) there was kind of like a two and a half year chunk of our lives though that we tried something and we're like nope abort abort we gotta get out of here so (laughs) so basically what happened was I mentioned that as uh, stuff you can use was taking off a bunch of companies were kind of reaching out to us which was awesome like super fun and like Mm. flattering and we were just trying to figure out hey how do we like if we are going to partner with somebody how do we partner with somebody whose values align with us And there was a company who uh, reached out and wanted to do some things. They wanted me to write a book with them. uh, And their values did seem to align pretty closely with ours. So, yeah, so I wrote the book with them. It was awesome. That turned into a job offer for both of us. And, you know, at that point, we had been in our church for about 10 years, working in our church. Which is a long time. It is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of felt like we maybe wanted to try something new. You know, mm-hmm. we like to experiment. The experimenter's way. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, does yep. it, might this be fun? Okay, let's go. Yes. But there was, um, I mean, my understanding of that mm-hmm. time is that it came with some big changes. You yeah. moved city, like, and mm-hmm. invested in kind of creating a life. Mm-hmm. But we did. Yeah. So, how, I mean, what did you learn out of, you, you've, <laughs> yeah. you've said, you know, okay, like it, it didn't work out. Okay. Mm-hmm. What did you learn out of that process that maybe shifted the direction of stuff you can use, but also yourself mm-hmm. as a businesswoman? And I guess, you know, f- for you and Kenny as entrepreneurs, what did you learn? Mm-hmm. How did it shift? What did you take away from it? Yeah. So Kenny and I loved doing stuff you can use in large part because we got to do it together. We are a great pair in business and in life, I think, since we're going on 12 years of marriage now. So we're we're having fun. And we love doing things together. That's really fun for us. Um, we had kind of built this business uh, and it was like our, like our little pet project. It was awesome. And so we really wanted to continue doing that. That was going to be our thing. And so when this other company reached out, they wanted us to both come work for them full time. And so we said, hey, like we're interested, but the caveat would be we need to continue to do stuff you can use and to like be able to keep that running and be mm-hmm. able to pour into that. And they were like, awesome, great, perfect, let's do it. So we said, okay, awesome, let's move. Let's move to Atlanta, Georgia and make this happen. So we did, uh, but pretty quickly it became apparent <laughs> that like, you know, what sounded too good to be true was probably too good to be true. Oh, um, I, I know. I hate it when that happens. I do too. It hadn't really happened to me before. Uh, we're pretty like go with the flow, you know, like we're, you know, whatever. Uh, and so, yeah, it was a little, it was a, it was a tough time for a lot of reasons. Um, but we really realized pretty quickly this wasn't going to work. Like we weren't happy um, with what was happening. Uh, the company kind of wanted stuff you can use to go away. And mm. we were like, well, that's not the, in the cards. That's not going to happen. So we stuck it out for like two and a half years, kind of tried to like resolve some things to try to kind of get to a middle ground where everybody was happy. Right. And it just wasn't going to happen. That became apparent that we had to choose either between this company that we had moved to work there for uh, or figure something else out. Mm-hmm. And through that process, we actually did, put together kind of a board of advisors for ourselves of about a dozen people from right. different walks of life, different like areas of expertise, people who knew us well, people who didn't know us well. 
And we're like, here's the situation. What do you, what do you guys think we should be doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and unanimously, they were like, you need to quit. You need to do your own thing. Like, this is your chance. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But you need to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So, Had you tried yeah. that before? The um, the input of, like, I mean, being so mm-hmm. intentional about getting the input of a group of advisors and mentors. Was we had that- not. That was the first time. Because wow. It, we knew this was going to be a huge decision. Mm. Uh, and up to that point, everything really had just been pretty intuitive. Like we would just, we kind of trusted our gut. But this one was something that was like, it felt bigger. And, yeah. and it, at that point, was it a decision between, because, the you know, the whole way through, you've been employed by the church mm-hmm. and stuff you can use is kind of on the side. Yeah. And then you're moving to work for this other organization. Mm -hmm. Is this the point at which it became, oh, if we're going to do this, we're really going to do this and this is going to be our Mm -hmm. our income, our business, our, you know, whole kit and caboodle. Yes. And basically what we, we didn't have a plan. So when we were quitting (laughs) this job. There's a theme there too. I know there is. When we were quitting this job, we were like, okay, we don't know. Because we were making... And we were making money from stuff you can use. It was probably about a third of our income at that point, uh, which was great. It was like a nice third salary for Mm -hmm. us, which was wonderful. But It's vacation time. Yeah, it's vacation time. But it wasn't enough to, like, sustain us as, you know, a Mm. couple for, you know, indefinitely. So we knew that if we were going to quit, we had to somehow revolutionize our business to be a financially sustainable business and to really become more of an actual business rather than a side project. So we knew we had to do that, and we had to figure it out. Mm. And we thought, okay, if it doesn't work, worst case scenario, we can go work at a church. Uh, some of the people on our board of our, you know, board in quotation marks, and our board of advisors, they were like, listen, I'll help negotiate your salary at a church. Like, we just need to get you out of this position and back into, like, what you want to be doing. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're like, man, if this doesn't work, we'll try something else. And my husband, Kenny, is much less fear-based than I am. Uh, so he's like, who cares? Like, if it doesn't work, like, what? Go work at Starbucks. Who? It's really not a big deal. And I thought, yeah, you're right. It really isn't that big of a deal. We'll be fine. So we quit. We quit our jobs with not a real plan. Uh, and, <laughs> and dove into stuff you can use full-time. And so the first... Sorry. So the first thing we did uh, was we did uh, coaching and like a mastermind style type of coaching. We're not certified coaches, so this is more of like, hey, let's, you know, do a youth ministry mastermind group. Uh, We'll lead it. We'll like facilitate some discussions. And we charged for that. And so that um, was very successful. Uh, We thought we could fill up one group and we ended up filling up three groups. Nice. That was nice. nice. So that was a good like holdover while we figured out what we were going to do next. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. What did it feel like the the first morning? Mm-hmm. Let, take me back into a narrative here. Yes. What great. did it feel like the first morning that you woke up, not having to go to the job? Mm-hmm. How did you feel? Relief. It felt so good. Mm-hmm. It felt like we can do what we want with our time, with our energy, with our focus. Like we get to decide what we're going to do. Um, I was so excited. It was awesome. So, yeah, it felt great. I loved it. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people would wake up, I'm Mm -hmm. full of fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. I'm full of, like, I don't know what's going to happen, anxiety, but... That came at some point, but not the first day. (laughs) (laughs) The first day you were just like, it's a new experiment. Let's go. Exactly. Possibilities are endless. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, the fear came, like, in waves. But day one, it was like, man, I'm glad we made that decision. And Mm -hmm. here we are. The decision is over. So now we get to, you know, try the next thing. 
Hey there, Transformationists. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. This is Time for the Ad Read, where I remind you to please share this episode with someone you think will enjoy it. And wherever you found it, please subscribe, rate, and review. Head along to thetransformationist.org and you can subscribe to our email updates. We're going to be releasing a cool new little worksheet all on finding your own personal rhythm. So be sure to head along to thetransformationist.org, subscribe, and you can pick that up next week. Thank you so much for joining us. And now back to this episode with Al Campbell. Let's talk a little bit about you as a person within Mm -hmm. that. Because, so here we have this, you you know, you've been in relatively secure positions Mm -hmm. and then you're making the decision to go out on your own. You've had that board of advisors. So, you know, kind of that, okay, let's get some external voices. Mm -hmm. What's happening for you as a person? Did you have a strong sense of, I mean, you're, you're overwhelmingly confident and approachable when that's in how conversation. It seems. That's great. That's wonderful that that's how that seems. <laughs> but so, it's, yeah, talk to me about what's happening for yeah. you as a person because yeah. I think sometimes, you know, and just diving in, I guess, to the experimenter like archetype a little bit, mm-hmm. there's this sense of willing to give anything a go, mm-hmm. you know, kind of brave and confident and boundless. And if it doesn't work out, who cares, whatever. Yeah. But you referenced, you know, uh, you referenced Kenny being a little more fearless than mm-hmm. you. Yep. So talk to me about what it's been like for you as a person to go mm-hmm. through this transformation from employee to business owner. Yeah, sure. So I would say, you know, being a woman who grew up in the church and was a, and as a woman in ministry for a long time, there's definitely some baggage um, mm-hmm. that I think most women in youth ministry probably understand. I think just probably <laughs> most women. <laughs> That's true. You're right. You're right. Um, and just that question of like, you know, do I actually have something to contribute you know, like, does my voice matter? Do mm-hmm. Like, am I worth listening to? Uh, I think part of that is also my personality, which is an Enneagram 9 for my Enneagram fans out there, uh, is that tends to be, like, a problem for nines of, like, listen, like, if I, you know, people don't really listen to me. Like, they don't really care. My voice doesn't really matter. So uh, there's some of that for, mm-hmm. for me, for sure, that I've had to work through. And I think launching stuff you can use for the first time uh, was a first step in that process. Um, actually, when we first started launch, uh, st- first launched it, I would blog a lot. And when I first started blogging, I blogged completely under the name stuff you can use. I didn't put my name on anything. Hmm. And there was a day where Kenny was like, you need to be a face of this. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And what was your fear? Why didn't you want to do that? I didn't want to cause the conflict of like, oh, well, she's a woman in ministry. Like, I don't believe in women in ministry. That was part of it. Um, Another part of it was, you know, there's so many people out there who are already talking. They've been doing this longer than I have. Like, what do I actually have to contribute to this? Nothing. Uh, That hasn't already been said. So there's some of that. And uh, (laughs) there was actually this day, I think we were in California. We're sitting on the beach. And typically all of our best business breakthroughs and ideas happen when we're on vacation. And so we were just hanging out. And Kenny is like, hey, you really need to start blogging under your own name. And I was like, no. He's like, well, I already purchased lcampbell.org, and I'm shifting the entire blog over to uh, that domain. I was like, cool. I hate you. Awesome. Great. So he's definitely had to push me a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but is I'm he, really... Is he your key provocateur? Like, is he the one yeah. who really, who has that ability to mm-hmm. push, like, the nine is sometimes characterized by your fla- favorite animal, yes, the sloth. Yes, my sloth. That's why I love him. <laughs> so is, but is, is he able to push those buttons and kind of move you into places that 
you know, perhaps you wouldn't go willingly. Yes, a lot of times he can. Not all the time. Sometimes I need a little extra push, but a lot of the time, <laughs> yes, he can. Which is cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, what was it like to then put your name mm-hmm. to some of these ideas? How does that yeah. imposter, how does that imposter system, syndrome, mm-hmm. which is really what you're yes, describing. And totally. um, I, as an Enneagram 4, mm-hmm. uh, suffer from that also from mm-hmm. time to time. Yep. Who am I really to be doing this? Am I even qualified? Oh, my exactly. gosh. Uh, so but talk to me about what that, what that's been like to, mm-hmm. you know, to manage that yeah. sense of wait, wait, because mm-hmm. the secret is that it never goes away. Right. right, right. Like no matter totally. how, no matter how many bylines, no matter how many mm-hmm. times your name appears on the internet or on a book or yeah. on a resource, or you speak at a conference, mm-hmm. it never, never goes away. Never. It just changes shape. Mm. And so, um, but yeah, I think being able to do it for the first time and getting really good response was very affirming in in a good way. And I don't think in like a ego stroking way of like, oh, I do have something to contribute. And mm. that's great. Um, I think something that is, it probably has to do with my personality a little bit, but um, part of the ways that I think I'm able to keep the imposter syndrome kind of at bay is because I'm like, you know, like everybody's voice matters though. Like I'm not, that special, but I'm also not inferior, um, mm. just like everybody else. Like I have something to say, but so does everybody else. Um, and so I think kind of seeing the value in all people has helped me see it in me, I guess. Right. Yeah. Which is probably one of the values that I think you really, it's clear that mm-hmm. that, that value of equality and diversity is really important to yeah. you and that all voices at the table matter yeah. and inviting voices to the table matters. That's mm-hmm. something that I think is evident in your work. It's evident in yeah. the ethos of stuff you can use. And, you know, as somebody who who has been lucky to get to know you over the past, you know, couple of years, that's something that I've experienced. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's clearly a value. What are some yeah. of the other values that are, that are driving you and helping mm-hmm. you become more yourself yeah. the further on in this journey you go? Um, well, going back to some of our core values is like, we're in this to have fun. Like if, when it stops being fun, that's when we know we need to do some rethinking. Um, because, you know, we're just, we're not trying to like, I think especially in the Christian world, sometimes there is this tendency for people to build their own kingdoms Mm -hmm. of man, like I need affirmation. I need people to, I need to feel like people are following me. And that's not, we're pretty cautious to be like, we don't ever want to be driven by that. Uh, and so bringing other people to the table helps make that happen uh, to make sure that we're not building something that's all about us. That's all about like, you know, what we've done or like accomplished or like what we have to bring to the table. Um, so I think part of that is we kind of see ourselves more as curators than experts. Mm. Uh, and that helps a lot because we're not experts. We're just, you know, we're like, we would rather kind of be the people who are elevating people who we consider to be experts. Um, so that's a value to us is like elevating those voices and kind of being the people who are bringing people together and exposing people to new voices they haven't heard from, uh, previously. So that's big. Um, but yeah, just like having fun and helping other people have fun with their lives is like really important to us. Like we want to make stuff and making stuff is fun. We want to help other people make stuff. And so a lot of what we do is very open source. Um, we invite a lot of people to the table because 
like there's a lot of people who want to do things, but they don't know how or they don't have a, an outlet. And so we would love to be that for people to help launch people if we can. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, I mean, that's just a beautiful thing if you get to do that yeah. and you get to make a living from mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. And so one of the fascinating things you, you've talked a lot and you've, you know, self-identified mm-hmm. as I'm a creative person. Yep. I like making things. I like <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Yes. And so it would be really easy to listen to that narrative and to tap into the stereotypes mm-hmm. of a creative person and be like, oh, well, somebody else must be running the money. Mm-hmm. Like somebody else must yeah. be making the books work. Yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. else is doing the strategy. <laughs> somebody else is making all that stuff happen right, and like right. you're just sitting there making pretty pictures and uh-huh, what yeah, have you. Yeah. But is that, is that the reality? Cause I don't think it is. Yeah, not really. I mean, it, tangibly, yeah, I don't do anything with the money because I don't want to. <laughs> so yeah, Kenny does handle the money. Um, but yeah, I think we're both pretty like strategic and intentional about um, the plan for our business. Uh, I try to stay out of the weeds just because I know it's not the best use of my time of like the details. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think we're both pretty strategic of like, hey, we need to develop a product that does this, that like brings in this much income so that it is sustainable. Um, here's ways that we can do this cheaply and still excellently. So I think we're both pretty focused on that. It, it probably comes from that time spent in the church having to <laughs> hustle with few resources mm-hmm. that we're both very conscious of that. Um so yeah, I think we're both pretty structural and actually we're sitting in one of our offices, uh, office areas right now and there are boards everywhere with like, you know, structural things like built out. And so when we're kind of creating products, there is very much like a structure and a strategy behind it. And that's part of the design process for me. You know, it's like the things I'm creating are not just pretty pictures. <laughs> I like that phrase, um, but they're very strategic resources. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, part of the the design is very like, you know, there's there's some strategy involved, not just cool things. And so with that transition mm-hmm. and change to then go, okay, so now we're business owners. Yeah. We're making those strategic decisions that that is very much about not just designing the, the output of your work and also the fun of life that comes mm-hmm. alongside that. Yeah. Uh, but but being responsible for making the plan to execute it. Mm-hmm. Are you still in experimentation mode or have you? is there a second gear now where you're like yeah. both planning mm-hmm. and experimenting? Like, mm-hmm. is that a transition that's happening? Yeah. So when we first kind of branched out on our own uh, full time, we had a business coach and our business coach said, I'm going to need you to stop thinking about your business as if it's an arts and crafts project. Like (laughs) this is something that needs to, you know, sustain you as people. And we're like, oh, you're right. So yeah, we've been transitioning into that mode for sure. Uh, For the first, uh, about first year that we were doing this full time, it was just Kenny and I. So it was still very much experimenting, kind of trying some things. But uh, we basically developed a core product that is the backbone of our company and our income. And uh, so we have that that's kind of like running as the through line of Mm. our business. And that's where we put most of our resources, most of our staff. We actually have staff now, which is crazy. It's crazy. I know. And so that's kind of like the through line. But um, we've 
tried to structure our business in such a way that we have this uh, like continuity of this core product, but then we can experiment in the margins of what we've got. And it's been really, it's been going really well for us. And that, that kind of core product um, even gets reinvented every year. So mm-hmm. there's- Which is the grow mm-hmm. curriculum. That's right. Which I need to do a plug for here Ooh, because- I accept. I, I got to, well, I got to contribute. You did, which I'm was, so happy. Which was really great for me. I enjoyed it. And, and one of the things, I think one of the, one of the tangible representations of that value of mm-hmm. um, equality, diversity, you know, all voices at the table mm-hmm. is in the the broad range of contributors yeah. to that curriculum, which I think is really mm-hmm. exciting. That's yeah. cool. That was very important to us uh, because in the youth ministry space specifically, uh, well, okay, when we launched out on our own full time, we kind of had to wrestle with, okay, if we're going to really do this and this is no longer a hobby, what do we want to be known for? Mm. And um, I'm a little bit of like a table turner sometimes, but in like a very subtle, sometimes passive aggressive way. <laughs> Like, I like to see things like tables flipped. Um, and so now we'll begin talking about smashing yeah. the patriarchy. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. perfect, perfect, perfect. I, I'm feeling like that's yeah, what you're stepping around. That's, okay. what, that's what's happening. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so in the youth ministry space, if you look around at like the primary influencers, the primary people who are like, you know, owning these big companies that are kind of charting the course in the mm. youth ministry space. Uh, it is pri- very much primarily white men. <laughs> and listen, I love white men. I married one. He's great. Love him. <laughs> love him bunches. But uh, I know what it's like to be the marginalized voice at a table, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know that that is only exponentially more for people of color, for women of color. And so when we were kind of thinking, okay, well, what do we want to be known for? This was huge for us. So we kind of made it like a company um, standard that, hey, we're going to push for 50% representation of women in everything that we do. And we're going to push for a majority people of color represented on everything we do. Um, And not in a like quota meeting way, but in a no, like these aren't just going to be people we tack on. Like, oh, I don't know. They like did something dumb. They like wrote a game or something. But these are people who are, um, have real voice over our content, who are editing things, who are like, um, are contributing their actual ideas. Mm-hmm. And we are actually listening and implementing those ideas. So yeah, that became huge for us. Um, and that's something that we're continuing to do and strive for. Which I think is really exciting. How, how have you experienced, I mean, have you experienced a, a tangible response to that as mm-hmm. a value? Or is it just something that is part of the nature of the organization and so therefore, you know, people don't even realize that that's what they're part of? Yeah, I think it's a both and, that there are Mm. some people who just don't even realize, which is great because um, there are people who aren't thinking about that and that's okay. Um, We don't expect everybody to have the same, like, you know, drive for the things that we care about. Uh, But what's exciting is that they're still going to be influenced Mm -hmm. by diverse voices, even if that's not a core value that they're pursuing. Um, so that's big for us. And not only them as youth pastors, but their kids too, that they're leading. So it kind of filters down through mm-hmm. all of these levels. Uh, but I think there has been a tangible response specifically from women and from communities of color, which we weren't like looking for, but right. I mean, it worked out great where, you know, <laughs> we, like we hired somebody to write something and they were like, man, you mean like, uh, this is a person of color and they were like, you mean you're actually going to like use what I write and not just, you know, rip it apart until it sounds white. (laughs) I'm like, uh, no, I like actually want to use your ideas. And they were like, cool, here's 20 other people that you can call that I will tell them you are safe to work with. I was like, wow, that is 
intense. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you for that. But mm-hmm. also, wow, that's crazy to realize that that's something that you experience on a regular basis. Um, and so we've learned a ton. We're still learning a ton. Um, but yeah, I think there has been a really interesting and good and healthy kind of response. Um, and we've broadened our community as a result, which has been awesome. So. Yeah, I think um, this it's a conversation that continues to emerge both in the conversations that we have on this podcast, but, mm-hmm. you know, in just my day-to-day conversations. And it's something that I am, uh, I wouldn't say, and, you know, it's difficult for me to say, oh, I'm convicted by this because yeah. I come from a culture that's not American. Yes. Right. So my experience of racial diversity is somewhat different to begin Mm -hmm. with, which is not to say that it's entirely healthy and perfect, Mm -hmm. but that it is different. Um, but one of the things that I am, I'm driven by curiosity around, which Mm -hmm. is, um, how do we take the time to listen Mm -hmm. and to engage? How do we take the time to listen and to engage with, with people who are other than us without maintaining or proactively disestablishing any sense of colonialism, Mm -hmm. any sense of, you know, superiority or hierarchy so that the conversation can be genuine at its core. And I feel like that's the Mm -hmm. practice that you're engaged with, right? Mm -hmm. Is that how, how do you bring diversity to the core instead of as a tack on so that it can be a genuine lived experience Mm -hmm. for people? Yes. Yes. And I see like a lot of companies who try try to diversify, but they might only do it at kind of like the, the very bottom level of what Mm -hmm. they do. The policy Um, level. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The policy level. That's right. And yeah, so I mean, we're trying to do that in a more like integrated way, like Mm. meaning our executive team, Mm -hmm. um, meaning like our core staff members. So not just, you know, the people we hire to do random projects, but the people who are on the core leadership team. Mm. Um, So that's important to us. So we're working on it. I had a fascinating conversation with a friend of mine in Chattanooga just last Mm -hmm. week about this idea of how you can... um, you know, and again, it's a conversation. It's a question that I end up going, you know what? I can't answer this. I need to take it to the communities of mm-hmm. diversity that I know to yeah. say, hey, does this is this true? As opposed to assuming that I can know and understand what, mm-hmm. what truth is for an experience other than my own. However, the conversation we're having is that, you know, a, a great starting point, even in the conversation about representation is, does your company, does your community, does your cluster of people mm-hmm. um, reflect at least at least, you know, 50% of the reality of the community that you find yourself mm-hmm. in, in terms of the physical space. Yeah. So, you know, is the company as, di- in the instance of a company, is the company as, you know, as racially, as ethnically diverse mm-hmm. as the the city that you're based in? Yeah. You know, and that's such a, and that was a really interesting thing for me to go, oh yeah, actually that's a really good measure because it's not just about somebody's willingness to hire somebody who's other, no mm-hmm. matter what direction that flows in. Right. But actually how how committed and how aware of you of aware are you as a business owner of your surroundings of your context of what it means to actually be mm-hmm. representative yeah. you know so yeah, i'm i'm just huge. fascinated by how that can roll out you know as a mm-hmm. business owner when you're trying to live out those yeah. values yeah right? yes mm-hmm. it can be complicated man and then you layer in your own experience of yes. that as right. a woman cuz mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the minority thing. Did That's you right. have when you first started the when you first started stuff you can use mm-hmm. out that second time moving out from the company and it was yeah. like your thing? Did did people want to talk to Kenny? Did they assume that he was the decision maker? <laughs> you know what's funny is like Kenny 
is with stuff you can use, he's always been the more like low key public figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just because I'm on social media and he's not. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people have actually pretty much almost always come to me. Right. Um, because they see me, they hear me talking, they see me like, you know, engaging, and they don't really see a ton of Kenny. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, a lot of people would come to me first. Uh, I mean, even. <laughs> Actually, this was kind of funny. Um, somebody reached out. They wanted to bring me to come speak at something. Um, I think they probably, like, Twitter DM'd me, which I never check those. Uh, and so they didn't get a response, so they emailed Kenny. And they're like, hey, we want Elle to speak at this thing. Can you, like, have her see if she wants to speak? And I was like, <laughs> I was trying to figure out, like, do they think Kenny's my assistant or that I – what? I don't understand the dynamics fully. Uh, but it is always interesting to kind of watch because – in the ministry world, there are definitely some men who get uncomfortable interfacing directly with uh, me as a woman, mm-hmm. uh, at least in person. Online, it's easier because there's not, you know, it's less. How does, how does the in-person experience happen for you? Because this is a conversation that, yeah. like, this is a fascinating conversation. What's yeah. it like? So, I mean, honestly, like, I, <laughs> this is just a personality thing. I don't have time for, like, the nonsense. Like, I just, I don't want to deal with it. I don't have time for it. And so if I start to get vibes that somebody's going to be weird with me, uh, I just don't make time for them. Or uh, I will just, me and Kenny will do it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll go to meetings together. We'll do different, you know, we do a lot of things together. First of all, because it's fun, but also because, you know, if I don't feel like dealing with somebody's ridiculousness about my gender, then I'll just bring Kenny along and, you know, Right. Whatever. Then I don't have to deal with it. You've got a wingman, literally. I I do. I do. And it's funny because, like, in in teaching settings, it's typically where, you know, people get weird. Like, you know, you shouldn't be taught by a woman or whatever. But what's funny (laughs) – go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, you know, it it still amazes me the number of Mm -hmm. times – you know, and having a conversation where I feel the need to, you know, explain for for listeners who don't have this kind of evangelical sure. background mm-hmm. that that there are still places in the world yes. where people think and believe and fervently mm-hmm. encourage that somehow women don't have the equal ability to do That's right. all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And the in-person meetings have this other level where it's like, there's a lot of men who would not meet with me one-on-one just because that would be, you know, a potential stumbling block or something. And yeah, so it's that kind of thing that I just don't even want to deal with. So, Mm. because if I started, like I have friends who have, um, female friends who have been in meetings uh, with men who wouldn't even look them in the eye during the meeting. Mm. And I know (laughs) if I were in a situation like that, I would just be so enraged the entire time that I don't even want to deal with it. So I mostly avoid it just because I don't want to be in an angry place. I was Um, once in a meeting where a man in the room mm -hmm. referred to me in asking a question of another man in the room, referred to me as she. Oh, well, what she thinks is blah 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 blah. So, do you <gasps> agree with that? And and I was like, it was dehumanizing yes. in that moment to be like, yes. hey hey hey. Well, firstly, mm-hmm. like ask him whether or not he agrees, but use right. my name. Like, Seriously. Anyway. Yeah, that can be pretty weird. Um, yeah. Uh, an interesting thing about me and Kenny, though, is that like when it comes to the content uh, in like teaching, mm-hmm. I pretty much own the content side of what we do. So when people ask us to come speak at things. 
I am prim- primarily driving the teaching yeah. portion, uh, and Kenny will kind of support and whatever, but I pretty much run the show with the content. So it is kind of funny that I'm like, man, I don't think you know what you're asking because I don't think you would want me to be running the content, but I am, so you're going to get it. Here we go. Uh, yeah, so it's it's definitely interesting. You definitely run into some of that. Um, I would say less, I run into it less than I was afraid I would. Mm-hmm. Um which is positive, right? It is positive. Like I, I do love anytime there's an opportunity in a world that is still so so full of the Me Too mm-hmm. kind of movement and, and everything that comes with that. I love the fact that there's an opportunity to celebrate yes. every time every time that it's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Right? Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. And um I have seen I've gotten a lot of requests to come speak to teenagers, which is awesome. Uh, because I know a lot of churches are worried about women preaching to their teenagers. Um, I don't actually enjoy preaching to teenagers. That's not really my jam. I would rather like train youth workers. Uh, but I still appreciate being asked because then what I get to do is send them my list of amazing women, um, who they can choose from instead. And I do like these days, I pretty much only send lists of women of color because, you know, that's just... There's not enough. Well, you have to do what you can do, yes. right? Like that's the, you have to do what you can do. Yes. And I fully uh, love and appreciate and admire the the number of men that I know, particularly mm-hmm. in corporate circles yeah. who now, you know, refuse to appear on panels that don't yes. have equal, if not greater representation mm-hmm. and proactively, you know, promote. And it's this weird tension because um, there was a conversation happening about this the other day uh, in a Facebook group, with this idea that, you know, I'm not even interested and I'd be fascinated to know what your thoughts are on this because I'm not even really interested in being invited to the table that's uh, invited to a table that's been designed by men and for men without the female voice Mm -hmm. included. I'm much more interested in saying how can we, men and women, come together and redesign a new Mm -hmm. paradigm? Yes. You know, how can we how can we design a new paradigm with all of those voices at the table Mm -hmm. and all with a sense of equality? Because that's part of the um part of the madness is and I think the either orness, right? Mm -hmm. This this pendulum swing of uh of how we deal with uh, gender, how we deal with uh, with race, how we deal with sexuality, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that pendulum swing that we do yeah. of something's all wrong and so we try and fix it to make it all right but then it mm-hmm. goes too far and then we come yep. back the other way. You know, and we have like first wave, second wave, third wave, yeah. fourth wave feminism, who knows what that will look like. <laughs> right. But I'm, I'm really fascinated more in how can we, how quickly can we get to the point where we're able to have done our listening mm-hmm. and to have done our uh, our learning and I mean you know everybody at that table right just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I don't have things to learn about how to uh, more appropriately mm-hmm. support and understand men yeah. or you know people of color mm-hmm. all of those things but I am really fascinated with how quickly can we get to the learning and the healing so that we can get to a new design yeah. I know that we can't jump into fixing mm-hmm. the problem straight away right. Right? right that would be a crazy thing to do mm-hmm. um, because people have, we need an opportunity to listen to the pain. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. I am tracking with you. And I think one thing that we can do, and it's something that I try to do with communities of color and something that I wish, um, and I do see a lot of men doing this with women. I wish it happened a little bit more, um, is like intentionally reversing the power structure. Mm. So instead of, you're describing this table. So instead of like, let's say, you know, 
as white people instead of being like hi we have this table and we would love for you to come sit at it so we're going to invite a couple people of color to come sit at this table and we're gonna you know have this conversation but like what would happen if instead i decided to be like oh look there's this community of people of color can I come learn from you and just sit here? Like, can I just come sit here and learn from you? And so we have, um, like, I've tried to do that personally. Mm. And, um, I mean, even, like, let's see, a year ago, there was a conference for urban youth workers. Mm-hmm. It's very multi-ethnic. Um, and we were like, can, we would like to just come and just sit. We're not exhibiting. We're mm-hmm. not speaking. We just want to come and, like, learn mm. from you. And that was really you know, I think important for us and something that we need to continue doing. Uh, And so that's something that we try to do. And like when we are, that's why when I say um, sort of our standard is like a majority people of color for our platform, it's because we're intentionally trying to reverse those power structures. Um, Yeah, because we already, like as the people who own the company, Mm -hmm. as white people, we have more inherent power in that situation. So one thing that we can do to help balance that is to uh, make sure that we are maybe the minority representation at some of the tables that we create. Mm, Which I love. I just love that so much. I mean, and it's part of, I guess, my own motivation and wanting to broaden and extend my own Mm -hmm. engagement, right? To to take all of those things that I become curious about as well as the things that I become convicted about. And And I very much have this you know, my personal kind of motivation going into this kind of year is like, okay, let's be curious about a lot more things. Mm -hmm. Like let's be intentionally curious and learn more about things that challenge me. Um, And part of that is wanting to engage in more diverse relationships so that I can be curious, Mm -hmm. so that I can be in that, in that position of being able to ask questions as opposed to. Have you read uh, A Curious Mind by Brian Grazer? I have not. <gasps> You'll love it. It's really great. Uh, do you know who Brian Grazer is? No, tell me more. So he is a producer of probably half of your favorite shows and movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he produced, let's see, Apollo 13, 8 Mile, Friday Night Lights, Arrested Development, mm-hmm. like so many. I do, I do. I have a deep appreciation for a lot of his work. <gasps> yes. <laughs> and it's interesting, like you look at the kind of stuff he's created, it's so diverse. Like like eight mile and Apollo 13, like those mm-hmm. are very, very different genres, very different like subject material. Uh, and so he wrote this book called a curious mind about how basically his entire adult life, he created this, uh, rhythm in his life where every week, I think it was every week, maybe multiple times a week, he would invite one person to lunch that he did not know anything about. He didn't, they were in a completely different stage of life than him. Maybe they were like a chief of police or like, I don't know, like, just people that he had nothing to do with. And he would be like, hi, can we just get lunch? I'll buy you lunch. And I just want to ask you about your life and what you do. And he would just put himself in the posture of I'm the learner and you're going to teach me everything that there is to know about you and what you do and what it's like to be you. And he would do that every week with people who were very different. And he just talks about how that breadth of knowledge Mm -hmm. um, and different stories and different perspectives has allowed him to be more creative in his work and to create very diverse pieces of art because he actually listens to people's stories. So yeah, A Curious Mind. It's a great book. That's going straight to the show notes Yeah, for this one. Great. I think. Love it. Uh, I do love that idea. I mean, intentional learning, right? Yeah. That that thing of how do we how do we put ourselves in a posture to intentionally be curious, intentionally learn, mm-hmm. and therefore continue, you know, evolving. Yes. I like to talk about, you know, just that human evolution is yeah. actually just what we do with the time that we have mm-hmm. available to us. Yeah. So um, 
tell me like tell me in your in your business journey these values are really clear the direction that you're trying to aim uh how does that how does that translate to you know l the human <laughs> yeah. right yeah like yeah. l the human yeah that's me yeah uh so we i mean kenny and i like people ask us like well how do you have like a work-life balance um, we don't. But As we sit here and stuff, you can use HQ. <laughs> which is my house. So if that's uh, any representation, we don't really have like a work-life balance. But we know the things that bring us life and that like make us happy. And a lot of times it is work. We love to make things together. And so the idea of like drawing strict boundaries around our work time would not be good. Because mm-hmm. that's we love to. We just love to do it. It makes our marriage better. makes life more fun. So... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the last couple of years, even though I've cried a lot and been very scared, have been the best two years of my life and our marriage. Like we are having so much fun. We love it. Um, I think I've made more like relationships and deeper friendships, um, than I ever have. Mm -hmm. I think I, um, you know, there was some, some definitely some hard stuff with transition, uh, that helped identify who some real friends were and right. who some not so real friends were. And that's is okay. Is there a girl gang behind you there cheering you on? a hundred percent a girl gang. In fact, let me pick up my phone right now. Uh, let's see. I have, I have, I think 39 Marco, Marco Polo, uh, <laughs> notifications for what is happening in our girl gang Marco Polo group right now. Uh, yeah, we do have a girl gang, and it's awesome. We talk every day. I mean, I have a few girl gangs. We talked about this earlier mm-hmm. uh, before we started recording. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've been able to find kind of this community of amazing women, and there are several who are in, like, similar stages of life where they're leaving kind of the secure job and trying to branch out on their own and kind of, like, create their own mm-hmm. lifestyle business. And... Everybody, though, is kind of in different stages of that, and they're very all very different. And it's just really fun to kind of, like, champion each other and share each other's, like, you know, disaster moments of, like, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Like, like you know, just sharing all the stuff, the, the wins and also the things that are, like, I'm so embarrassing. Listen to what I just did. Uh, and it's been really healthy and really good. And I think it's, you know, helped – me and all of us kind of stay grounded and stay healthy and to keep things in perspective instead of getting stuck in these like Mm -hmm. thought spirals, you know, of like fear or like shame or whatever it could be that you could kind of get stuck in, especially when you're like running your own business alone without coworkers around you. You know what I mean? So yeah, they're kind of, my girl gang is kind of like my coworkers. (laughs) So, so true. And so important. Amazing to me how, um, and we were, we were mentioning this before, uh, that, before we were recording, mm-hmm. that 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 amazing ability to be completely, and and I I don't know if men have this. I hope that they do. <laughs> yeah. But but that ability to have a group of people that you can just be your embarrassing, mm-hmm. messy self with. Yeah. You know, I'm the classic. Uh, I am the classic person to reach out to my girl gang either very early in the morning, mm-hmm. very late at night, disheveled and, right. you know, Disgusting. whatever. Right. Um, but there's something really beautiful and human about being mm-hmm. able to just go, blah, this is my moment right now. Yes. Um, and I don't know if, I don't know if that's been something that's always been part of, uh, part of the, a kind of a woman culture, mm-hmm. um, or if it's something that we're just now figuring out how to do better with each other. Yeah to take yeah. those moments out of the busyness and the chaos and the frenetic of, you mm-hmm. know, trying to be all and do all the things. Right. Um, but I do love what that, 
what that brings. Mm-hmm. I think I it's kind of cool. And I haven't always had that. Like, I think that's sort of a newer thing for mm. me in the last, like, few years. Um, and I definitely feel like a healthier, more grounded person, you mm-hmm. know, having that community of women who get it, you know. It's mm-hmm. great. It's great. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what's the What's the next experiment on the horizon for you? Yeah. You know, personally, professionally, whichever. Mm-hmm. Like my sense is that you know your your transformation your ongoing evolution as a human fueled by yeah. encountering new ideas new possibilities seeing gaps and therefore seeing opportunities mm-hmm. so yes. you know yeah. what's ahead of you right now okay well there's a few I'm, i might have to <laughs> categorize these okay so for myself and my own like leadership you know health as a human i'm having to hire a bunch of people right now mm-hmm. and so kind of the experiment is moving from the entrepreneur to like the boss I don't even like saying boss but like I I'm going to have people who I am the team leader the team leader that's better uh yeah so that's different like I'm moving away from this type of mindset um just because I have to where I was doing everything I was writing the content I was editing the content I was laying out the content and now I'm having to design these systems um that are bigger than me and that's a a little terrifying Mm -hmm. and a cool new experiment that is really interesting. So I'm kind of in the midst of that right now. And uh, I love it and hate it at the same time. It's both of those things. Uh, as a company, we are experimenting with a few different things. We actually have this uh, this online conference that we started doing last year. And we we're going to do it again this year. But then we realized like, we could do the same formula we did last year, or we could just make up a completely different formula. <laughs> and so, of course, that's what we did. <laughs> and uh, as of this recording, it's happening in like five days, four days. I don't know what day it is. It's fine. So it's happening in like four days, and we're still, we were just talking before we started recording. Kenny and I are still like, you know, there's like a million puzzle pieces that we still have to pull together for this thing, but that's fun. We're going to do it. So that's a little bit chaotic, but a, a good chaotic. Uh, and then we're actually looking to branch out into some new markets with what we're doing this coming year, mm-hmm. which will be really interesting. Like we're creating, we're kind of taking things we've already created, but changing them uh, to make them fit with different audiences uh, and kind of broadening like the scope of what we're doing. So that's a little bit of an experiment. And uh, we also have this other idea just for fun is <laughs> we have a YouTube channel that we want to start. <laughs> So my husband uh, got his pilot's license this year, just out of nowhere. He just thought, I actually, this is where it came from. He was watching the show Survivor. <laughs> and on Survivor, there was a, a private pilot who, like, flew this plane that could land in water. And Kenny was like, I want to be able to do that. So Kenny got his private pilot's license. And now we're kind of toying around with this idea, like, wouldn't it be funny if we could do, like, an interview YouTube show in the plane? Like, Kenny's flying people around and interviewing them at the same time. <laughs> so that's kind of on the radar. We think that would be fun. Mm-hmm. Kind of like comedians in cars, but without comedians and with, like, really interesting people who are just yeah. doing cool things. Totally. And in an airplane instead of a car. So Sounds great. <laughs> so that's an experiment on the horizon. Uh, yeah, that's it. I think that mostly covers the big ones. If there were three things you could tell anybody thinking about this journey that you've been on, which is, mm-hmm. you know, going from employee to business owner, th- trying all the things, yes. three things you could tell them, what would you tell them? The, the, the things that you've learned in this journey that you're holding on to? Um, okay, I would say one, uh, as an experimenter, 
there's a tendency to try lots of things, which is great and you should do that, but you also need consistency to keep you grounded and functional and able to eat every week. <laughs> so find that balance between consistency and experimentation uh, would be one. Uh, number two, I would say like get good people around you. Um, I think that board of advisors that I mentioned was really, really important to us mm-hmm. and the girl gang that we were just talking about. That is really important to me to keep me functioning and not like, you know, stuck mm-hmm. in these weird spirals of, you know, not productivity. Uh, so that would be two. And then three, I would say don't be afraid to screw it up. It's okay if you screw it up. And if you screw it up, just try a new thing. It'll be fine. Uh, we I listened to this book called uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. And it mm-hmm. is a book. Have you read it? It's great. Yeah, it's great. And it's all about how humans think we are very logical thinkers. Even when we are trying to be really objective, we are not. We are idiots. We are stupid. (laughs) We think with our feelings and we are dumb. Yeah. And so it kind of goes into a lot of these fallacies, these like logical fallacies that humans get trapped in. And one of those is the sunk cost fallacy. And Mm -hmm. it's this idea that we tend to feel like if we pour a lot of time or energy or resources into a project, that we have to keep sinking things into that project, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't seem like it's working. That that at some point it has to return its value mm-hmm. before we can walk away from yes. it. And which guess is what? which is a terrible investment strategy. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> if this if the ship is sinking, get off of it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. get off. And listen, you're gonna have ships that sink, and that is fine. Mm-hmm. Just know it's time to you know get the heck out of there and put your time and energy and resources somewhere else. Uh, yeah. So I would say those are my three. Nice. I think one of the things that's most important on that, right, mm-hmm. is, and for and as an experimenter, like, we don't experiment to get it right. Yes. We experiment to learn. Yes. You know, and and if you've got that, for anyone who's ever had that that kind of that shame moment or that mm-hmm. performance mentality or the I must win and succeed, yeah. the competition element, all of those things can kind of, you know, layer into our ability just to give something a go mm-hmm. and to lean into it in order to learn whether or not it fits yeah. us, whether or yeah. not it works, you know, and it, just the ability to, as you say, like just uh, get off that sinking ship. <laughs> run, <laughs> run away. Yeah, know when you've learned what, know yes. when you've learned enough mm-hmm. yeah. to know that you're either going ahead or getting out. Yes, totally. <laughs> and you can learn so much from sinking ships. Like you can learn a lot. I feel like I've learned more from the things I needed to bail out of than the things that worked, you mm-hmm. know. It kind of sucks more, but you learn a lot. <laughs> and and never, never underestimate the ability to learn from watching mm-hmm. other people's sinking ships. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't not, sink your own ship if you don't have to. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> right. Not to point fingers, but no. just to, you know, yeah. to be like, oh, right. if somebody else has learned mm-hmm. that lesson, like, let them learn it, it for you. Right. That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. El, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your yourself your values the business and um just so much of your story i really appreciate it oh my gosh thank you for having me you are an angel just love you love you tons Hi, it's Dash, and it's time for the credits. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Transformationist. Please subscribe, rate, and review this episode wherever you listen to it, and share it with a friend. Visit thetransformationist.org for links to the resources mentioned in this episode, and to subscribe to our email updates. You can also share your transformation story with us there, and I would love to hear from you. 
As always, this episode is produced by Michael Yoda at Truthwork Media. Music is by Hans Van Vliet. For more about me and the transformation work I do, check out the website. This show is proudly made possible by Solar Feeder Consulting.